So when I said my first line at the early service, people laughed. And so I want to go ahead and give you a preparation so that you don't feel awkward that it's not supposed to be funny. (laughs) I let you get your laugh out. The first time that I saw a dead body, I was 21 years old. My grandfather, who was only 71, had been driving down his long driveway like he did every day for 50 years to go to his private practice in this little town. And as he was driving down, he had a massive heart attack. So since the six children and the 17 grandchildren and the hundreds of beloved friends, no one got to say goodbye. And so they decided they would do an open casket. And so we go to the funeral home and off to the side is a room with the casket in it. And all of my little cousins did not want to go in. They were very scared and probably confused. And none of the children were even going in. But my dad, he's a doctor. I guess he feels more comfortable around bodies. And and he goes in. And so I kind of follow in behind him. And and there was granddaddy. And, And yet was he there? His face was so peaceful. His skin color looked good. His mustache had been perfectly manicured. He had on this good-looking gray suit with this striped tie, and his hands were just resting nicely on his chest. And I remember thinking, okay, he's there, but where's his cackling laugh and his smile and his wink? And was it like in the cartoons where, like, there was this ghost of his body hovering over us that we couldn't see. And then as soon as the funeral was over, boom, he was going to be like up there with God. I, I didn't really know because he looked so very present. I just kept thinking, oh, he's, he's going to sit up. He's going to sit up and say something. And Okay, so if his body's here, is his soul already with God? I just was so confused. And I wish I could tell you, after going to seminary, and 18 years of ministry and doing dozens of funerals and memorials that I know exactly what happens when we die. I have to tell you that scripture gives us lots of different pictures, lots of different entry points, and that's okay. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks at the man to his right or left and, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So I went through a period of time where I was like, gosh, it's just going to be like being on the beach. Paradise. But then if you keep reading in the Gospels, there's this time that Jesus says, when we die, all of those sacrifices that we have made on earth, we will receive reward in heaven for the last will be first. Oh, that's going to be awesome. We're going to get all these crowns and everything's just going to be lovely and wonderful. Or I've been told by pastors that my whole life is going to be played in a movie before my eyes and I will be forced to have to watch it again. All the awful parts, embarrassing parts, shameful parts. What happens when the saints go marching in? I want you to know that we can be assured that when we die, it is a life with God in God, before God. Over the next three weeks, Claire and I are going to be looking at what happens with this grief, this death, this resurrection. 
What is it that we have and believe as followers of Christ about the end? Stacy began it beautifully last week as we celebrated All Saints. Jesus is approached by a group and asked about the afterlife, and we're going to look at one of his stories today. So before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, I feel very inadequate to preach on this. You are the only one who knows and those that have died what it is really like. So from these ancient words and this story, may each of us, regardless of our age, be able to get a sense of hope and direction, not for the afterlife, but for today. What can this text teach us and offer us today, Lord God? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our only rock and redeemer. Amen. So this is from the Gospel of Mark. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and they asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus says to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of that Age and in the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush when he speaks about the Lord as the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Now he is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. Then some of the scribes answered, teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him another question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like many other times in the gospel story, a group of religious know-it-alls approach Jesus and try to catch him. But this is the only time in the gospel story that a certain religious sect called Sadducees approaches Jesus. And Sadducees were set apart from the other ones for a couple of reasons. One is they only believed in the first five books of Moses, and they were very, very literal readers of the law. So they didn't believe in any oral interpretation. They didn't believe that a rabbi could could take a text and then make an interpretation out of it. But another key theological difference with the Sadducees is that they believed that if you read the first five books of Moses, there was nothing about afterlife. And so when you died, you died. That was it. That was it. The Pharisees and other religious sects believed that there was 
and afterlife. And so this is a, a primary differentiation. And so these Sadducees, they, they come up to Jesus and they, they quote this Old Testament law. And if you want to look at it later, it's in Leviticus 25. I find it so interesting that for very literal readers of the law, even they decided they would pick and choose what parts of it to add. Not only that, the example that they give Jesus is about seven brothers, but the Old Testament law, there's just one. And so they're trying to trap Jesus and they say, so in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? But y'all remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. They're literally just trying to set him up. Set him up to say something to where they can go, see, he's a false prophet. See, he doesn't speak the truth. But Jesus gives a very unique answer. He says, those who belong to this age, they marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age, in the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So in Jesus's response, just those simple words, we learn some truths about life and death. This passage affirms for us as followers and believers in Jesus that there is another age, that there is a resurrection of the dead. We can be so assured that life after death is going to be one of hope. And y'all, we can be assured it is not going to be just more of the same. Amen. There will not be cancer. There will not be Alzheimer's. There will not be depression. There will not be sorrow. We can be assured this is such a good thing that there is another age in which we will live. But there is a difference that of life lived in this age and life lived in the age to come. He says there are things that are for this age. And one of those is that we are married and we are given in marriage. But Jesus is pretty clear that in the next age... There's not marriage. Marriage is something for this life. In that age, life after death, one's marital status does not give one significance. In that age, all relationships are in perfect harmony. Because of who God is, not because of who we are. Perfect harmony. I want you to think about the context when Jesus said this, though. Before him, there would have been men and women in this crowd. In first century, a woman's worth only came about if she didn't have an occupation, which would have been very few of them, by being married, especially in the Jewish culture. She was below a slave in a household. And here, imagine hearing, wait, you're telling me that in the age after death, I am not bound to any man. My identity is not just in who I am married to. And I know our context is so different than first century. Very few marriages in this country are arranged. And most of us get to choose who it is that we want to marry. But y'all, there are so many cultural expectations about what marriage is supposed to look like, what marriage is supposed to produce. And unfortunately, a lot of that comes from the church. I know that I was getting into my 20s, early 20s, and my parents started getting worried. Imagine you make it to your 30s. People start to wonder. Or you're in your mid-30s and you don't have children yet. 
The expectations are unfair. And what this scripture encourages me to realize, y'all, is whether we are happily married, whether you are content in your singleness, whether you are a grieving widow, or you are unhappy in your marital situation, hear this, after death, the primary relationship is our relationship with God. May that be encouragement to you that in after death, that all of those relationships, there is no division. There is no death. It is in perfect harmony, creator with the creation. And yet I believe that in Jesus's response, he, for, he points to this fundamental truth of the gospel. It is not just about waiting for that age. Stacy beautifully talked about this last week. And if you weren't here, she gave this image of going on a hike with her family and they kept waiting to get to the view. But what was blocking them was the trees and the boulders. And then once they finally got there, they had this glimpse of the beauty of Pike's Peak. That was the name of it, right? Pike's Peak. In our life, we don't have to wait till that age to have the abundant life that God wants for us. And I think we get caught up a little bit like those Sadducees. We come before God and we've, we've got our what ifs and our should haves. And, and Jesus says, oh, I'm here with you now. He even quotes this. He, he uses this passage. He says, remember how Moses had the burning bush, but it wasn't, it wasn't burned up. That would be like you having me before you, like a burning bush and saying, you know what? Let's talk about what's going to happen after death. Let's talk about things that are insignificant. On a judgmental day, I look at this passage and I'm like, oh, Jesus really got those Sadducees. Wow, did he tell them? They were focused in the wrong way. They were, they were putting God into a nice little box and then they were going to open it up whenever it was convenient. But on a day like today, I realize I'm often as sad, you see, Jesus says to me, friend, you can come and ask me anything about the what ifs or the should ifs or the will the, you can come and ask me anything, but Emily, I am here with you now. I am here with you now. I provide burning bushes for you, just like I did for Abraham and Moses. And I'm providing these opportunities. Can you imagine all the Sadducees are standing before the savior of the world, before the ultimate healer, the one with ultimate compassion. And what are they asking him? They're asking them about the what-ifs and the should-ifs. And he says, I am not God of the dead. I am God of the living. Consider what this means for us. What do we focus on? Are we sometimes like those Sadducees? How is God our God? How are we letting God now in this life make us alive? I think most of us in this room, we really do trust God with after death. We believe that because of our relationship with Jesus, we are promised eternal life. And we know that's going to be awesome and amazing. But do we trust God with our life now? With true life, abundant life. Stacy said last week, as believers in Christ, we have the opportunity for glimpses and realities of heaven now. We don't have to wait for it. Consider the abundant life that God has planned for you. 
Abundant not because we, we are not going to experience pain or grief or sadness. Abundant because we serve a good God. And I want you to see how the Apostle Paul tried to articulate it. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him beyond what any of us can imagine. God has prepared for us in the afterlife, yes, but now. So we buried my grandfather 23 years ago this past August. Here is his grave. He's on the left and my grandmother Mary is on the right. She died five years later. So 23 years later, do I know exactly what happened to him when he died? No. But by faith, I believe that he is with God because nothing can ever separate us from God. And so for today, I'm going to choose to focus on how he lived his life. My grandfather, in my opinion, was one of the most remarkable men. He lived life so fully. He was always trying to get us to just enjoy every moment. You know, we would have eaten that breakfast of my very healthy dietitian grandmother of cottage cheese and peaches. And then he would take some of the grandkids and we would go down to Hardee's to get the sausage biscuit. <laughs> my oldest sister, Kate, who always struggled so much with confidence, she was the oldest grandchild. And he let her drive the truck on the farm when she was 10. I know that he worked such long and hard hours. And, you know, after death, we've obviously, and as I've grown older, I've discovered mistakes that he made. Well, guess what? We all make mistakes. In a small town, he was the town doctor, so he was never off. And so he missed a lot of things, but he figured out ways to make connections he would come home on Saturdays after he had done his rounds and he would watch Vanderbilt get beat again and again <laughs> with his grandsons. He always was making sure he went out yonder and did whatever my grandmother told him to do. And I remember the times we would be sitting in the kitchen and she would yell to him, go out yonder, Edgar Kane, and tell him to do something. And he would look at me and he would smile and he had a toothpick in his mouth and he would wink and say, let's go out yonder, Emily. This passage encourages me and I, I hope it encourages you that this, this living this life with God now is supposed to be beyond what we can imagine. We can live into this kingdom of heaven, that age, we can live into it now, full of love, full of joy. For God has prepared things beyond what any of us have ever seen, any of us have ever heard, what any of us can imagine. For, the, for that life, yes, but for this life. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.